religious conquests have an element of violence to them, and we need to understand all of them in the light of the New Testament and Jesus' teaching about loving our enemies and all that. But especially this part is particularly in your face, isn't it? I mean, it celebrates the violence in worship, doesn't it? Blessed, what well, most blessed are you, JL? Because you went off and killed this guy. Welcome to The God-Centered Life with Josh Moody. We're continuing our study in the book of Judges today. Chapter 4, Chapter 5, In the Focus, as we look at getting over yourself with a study we're calling Step Up to the Plate. Josh Moody is senior pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. I'm Todd Bastide. Well, Josh, we've been talking about unlikely superheroes, and in an added twist, we come to one of the more violent stories in the Bible, and we're introduced to a couple of women that we're going to be studying today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think Deborah, of course, is a great hero. And it is important we underline these uh, figures in the Bible, Deborah, Esther. I, I have two, I have four children, two daughters, and uh, to find in the Bible, if you're a woman, women of great godliness and massively significant example is a great encouragement. And uh, here's Deborah. So we're covering two chapters in today's study. And uh, uh, again, we don't have time to include that in the particular session that we're in the midst of now. But when we have these longer passages, uh, we do encourage you to go back after the session, read the passage, and see if there are new insights that you can glean from the perspectives that Josh offers. Judges 4, Judges 5, here's Josh. Well, good morning, friends. So you turn with me to your Bibles. We're looking at Judges 4 and 5 uh, together because it's the story of Deborah. Well, if I had to choose a passage in the Bible to avoid uh, preaching on, I think this would probably be it. Uh, It reminds me a little of the story of uh, George Orwell. You know, he wrote this very famous book, Animal Farm. And when he first tried to get it published, he sent it to an American publisher, and the the publisher wrote back a rejection letter for uh, for Animal Farm saying, uh, books about animals do not sell well in the U.S., you know. And uh, there's so much material here. There's all the incredible subtleties of Hebrew poetry, and there's a wealth of theology behind all the words. And you've got to kind of do it all together, because if you don't, well, it's a story about Deborah and Barak and all that, so you've got to look at it together. Uh, There's all that, of course. Um, But uh, most of all, uh, in this passage, we are brought face to face, and I think it's pretty obvious, with two of the biggest controversies that are used these days, to dismiss our Christian faith if we are Christians here this morning. Uh, what are those two controversies? Well, I guess they're obvious. You know, don't you, that you know, the last few decades or so, the issue of women's role in religion has been very, very controversial in the church uh, ever since the extension of voting rights to women at the beginning of the last century and the, the feminist movement that started in the 1960s. This has been hotly debated. So there's that. And, and of course, Deborah is a symbol of freedom then for some, as she burns her bra, as it were, you know. But for others, uh, she's the exception that proves the rule. But also here, and and it's particularly tough for us more recently, ever since 9-11, is the issue of violence in religion, isn't there? And it's right in your face here. You can't ignore it. And now, it's everywhere in the Old Testament, to some extent, I suppose. All the, the religious conquests have an element of violence to them, and We need to understand all of them uh, in the light of the New Testament and Jesus' teaching about loving our enemies and all that. But especially this part is particularly in your face, isn't it? I mean, it celebrates 
the violence in worship, doesn't it? Blessed, well, most blessed are you, J.L., because you went off and killed this guy. And so we need to face up to these things, and um, when the Bible addresses them, be willing to actually look at them and say, well, what do we think about this? And as we do that, find uh, you know, a way to deal with those who say that the church is just a patriarchal society of bigots keeping women under the thumb. And there are people who say that, aren't there? Or that passionate faith is going to be always dangerous these days, and of course is, they would say, the root cause of many of the wars in this world. And therefore when I read, when I read this passage, looking it through, these are the kind of things that immediately came to my mind, the classic question. What about the Crusades? Oh, if I had a penny for every time I'd been asked that question, I would be a wealthy man, you know. What about the Crusades? Or someone else asking about the role of women. And while this part of the Bible does not clearly actually answer those questions as such, it does deal with them in a way that we can't avoid. And I think as we get into it, it actually sheds some helpful light upon them. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, I hope it will encourage you that your faith and your Bible is not as outrageously immoral as some people are saying these days, wanting to kind of ban certain bits of the Bible from the public square. It really isn't. And if you're not yet a Christian, I hope it will help you uh, to come to grips with Christ himself, having had some of those barriers that are really out there removed. And so you can actually look at him So listen in then to two of God's controversies. And the first controversy, one, is Deborah. And this controversy, I suppose, is to do with women first. And the pearl that we find as we prize open the oyster is to do with faithful bravery. Now, you see, Deborah was a prophetess, uh, verse 4 of chapter 4. And she was leading or judging Israel. She was one of, in other words, the 12 God-appointed judges uh, that we're looking at in this, in this series. Now, of course, Deborah was the only woman among them. And while the Bible has many examples of women being mightily used by God, as we'll see in a moment, Deborah is, though, rather unique in that she is the only person who uh, is in an official authority role over God's people. There are many others. There's Esther. Of course, Queen Esther, if you watch VeggieTales, there's a very good VeggieTales of Queen Esther. Um, uh, She was used uh, uh, to save God's people, wasn't she? But she wasn't actually a queen of the Israelites, you see. She was a queen of of Persia, Uh, that is Iran today. And there are many others, though, the simple slave girl who's used by God to persuade Naaman to visit Elisha, and, and so Naaman is cleansed from his leprosy. You may know that story. There's Miriam, who was a prophetess, we're told, and Huldah, and, and Anna, the prophetess in the New Testament, who spoke about Jesus as a, as a child to all who were looking forward to the redemption that, that he would bring. And, and then there's Ruth, isn't there, who also, like Esther, has a book in the Bible that is named after her. And Ruth, uh, even more amazingly, becomes, uh, of course, an ancestor of David and so of Christ and as to his human forebears and and is named as such in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, which was incredibly radical to do. Amazing. And so we could carry on. I mean, Jesus, perhaps most radically in terms of women, uh, Jesus appears after his resurrection first to women. 
And we, we miss the, the, the startling, amazing quality of that because, of course, at the time, women's testimony was not legally accepted. You know, you think he wanted it to be proved, but he appears first to women. And Jesus' radical approach to women is confirmed by the New Testament, which tells us that we are all one in Christ, which was uh, given the way that women were thought of and treated at the time, was pretty radical. And uh, as we are all created equal before God, as the Old Testament tells us, in the image of God, both genders. And so in the New Testament, we are both rescued as equal in Jesus, where, as Paul writes, there is neither male nor female. But, of course... That's only a bit of the picture, isn't it? Because in other ways, Deborah is rather unique. For the New Testament also, on the face of it, and we don't have time to get into it all, but it does on the face of it indicate that while women are equal, the roles of men and women are different. None of the 12 disciples were women. There is a record of a woman deacon called Phoebe, uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 1. But there's no record of a woman elder, And uh, Paul, in that other deeply controversial part of Scripture, which thankfully I do not have time to get into this morning, um, limits the teaching and authority of of women in God's church in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, Paul expects women will pray and prophesy publicly. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 11, which presumably includes some sort of teaching or exhortation or, or other. And Deborah is not unique because she was a prophetess, which, you know, is a... Is exercised publicly in some way, but because she was judging or leading all Israel, male and female alike. Now, that this was not how even Deborah wanted things, actually, is indicated by the fascinating exchange between her and Barak from verse 6 to verse 9 of chapter 4. Can you see it? The Lord, the God of Israel, Deborah says to Barak, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. And so, given that, you know, the Lord's going to do it. Barak, okay, off you go. Wonderful, right? Uh, uh, you would expect Barak to leap at the, uh, at the, at the challenge, wouldn't you? Uh, especially as there's a little subtext here that he's from Naphtali. And, and this region of the, of, of the land had been conquered before in Joshua chapter 11. And it was, it was the Naphtali who had failed to keep it in Judges 1.33. And so now he's got the opportunity to redeem his whole group, you see. And you'd expect him to sort of go out in God's strength and be the hero, right? Wouldn't you? It's the kind of thing you'd expect. But instead, verse 8... Barak said to her, you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. <laughs> and you see, you know, well, this is really pretty revealing, isn't it? Of the, of the craven kind of spirit that was evidently infecting the men at the time. You go with me, I'll go. But you don't, I'm not going to even think about it. More about Deborah as we'll continue looking at her story in the book of Judges in just a moment. But we wanted to take a second to let you know that there's going to be an opportunity to hear additional studies, get some resources, and partner with us as well. We'll give you details coming up in just a few minutes. Let's jump back into our study, though. Here's Josh. You can actually see the same kind of thing in other places in this passage, and we don't have time to get into all of them. But if you look at uh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 3, Deborah there in her song, she wants the rulers and kings to listen. She says, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. She's, she's sort of telling the kings, hey, I'm going to do it, you know. 
Right, verse 3 of chapter 5. And, and it, it was a mess, all of Israel, she says, until she, Deborah, verse 7 says, arose a mother in Israel. It's, it's very emphatic. It's emphasized. Now, you may remember in, uh, in the, um, a little earlier in the series, we noticed that this was kind of generation flaky, in a sense, and uh, this generation of people here. And uh, they were going with God when they had a judge and everything was going all right. But when they didn't have a good leader, they went off to Baal, the false idols. They were flaky, flip-flopping all over the place, right? No guts to them at all, this generation. But we can also see here, as is so often the case, that part of this flakiness uh, for that generation was, frankly, a male wimpishness. They were very far from being the macho meatheads that we characterize such people who go out and fight and kill people. Actually... The men have become pansies, to be frank, um, to such an extent now that even in the battle moment, surely if anywhere at the time considered a male preserve, Barak can't get himself together to go off to fight unless Deborah's holding his hand, you know? Now, if you are a man here this morning, and I know some of you are, <laughs> I want you to see this. Christian men are not to be wimps. We are to be meek, yes, as we saw uh, last week. God uses the humble in spirit and fills them with his power. But meekness is not the same as weakness. Meekness is the, is the training of a war horse under control. Moses, as one of the commentators on this passage says, was considered the meekest man on the face of the earth, but no one would have confused Moses to be a pushover, really. And some of the men, you see, were like that. Uh, again, in chapter 5, 15, Reuben well, Reuben was searching of the heart, 5, verse 15 and 16, like an endless committee meeting, which, you know, men at the worst can get into, can't they? Uh, or uh, Gilead, uh, 5, um, uh, 17, is sort of, you know, staying beyond the Jordan. And Dan is lingering by the ships, you know, he's, he's doing his trade. They're off fishing. And uh, Asher has remained on the seacoast and stayed in his coves. He's, he's partying, he's, he's surfing, you know, he's not involved, right? And so in a sense, this is all saying, men, step up to the plates. Take the reins and take charge. Now, we don't want men meandering around causing rebellious mayhem. We want them to be meek, trained. We want men who know their position, who submit to their Lord. And following his command, not like Barak here, who flip-flopped all over the place, but following his command, beat back the darkness of evil and sin in their own lives. Shepherd their families. And, and as it were, if you want a picture of this, be, be strong lighthouses, not flickering candles that just with one, out they go. But of course, there is something here for women too about faithful bravery. Look at verse, verse 9 of chapter 4. Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you. Because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. Now, Deborah does not actually usurp Barak's role. He still leads the army. But uh, she has to tell him still to get on with it again and fire the starting pistol for the battle, verse 14, you see. Go! I mean, they're, they're all standing there, the whole army. They're kind of, you know, waiting for Deborah to do something, their hands in their pockets. And Deborah says, go! You know, go on with it. You know, who's wearing the pants around here? 
You know, off you go. Go, this is the day the Lord has given scissor into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And he had, for it was the Lord's battle, and he did. He uh, caused a flash flood from heaven to make all the technical superiority of the iron chariots. They all got stuck in the mud as the Kishon River Valley over, uh, overflowed its, its boundaries and, and created this sort of mud pool throughout the valley. And they got stuck there. And she sings, doesn't she, from the heavens. You see, the rain from the heavens, the stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, chapter 5. Verse 20 and 21. So if you're a woman here, I want to urge you to be all that God wants you to be. What's it like? It's like how sometimes uh, you come across a very talented youngster and you know they could go far. They have all the gifts you could imagine. You look at them and think, wow, if I had those gifts, wow, that'd be great. You know, they're incredibly talented. Uh, they're just particularly athletic, maybe, right? But sometimes people you meet who are very talented are also wasters, aren't they? They don't really do anything with their lives. They just don't put in the effort. Well, men, step up to the plate. Women, be all that God wants you to be. I actually come from a a very long line of powerful women. Um, My grandmother was a feisty Irish woman who was still trying to drive literally at 100 miles an hour when she was over 90 herself. My great-grandmother, it is said, not only was uh, instrumental in planting a church south of London in in England, not only would she preach outdoors on London's famous uh, Speaker's Corner, but when asked, when uh, despite this, she still opposed the extension of the voting rights, you know, at the time, uh, to women. Why did she still oppose that? Uh, She replied that if she and her husband could both vote, then she would vote her way and he would vote his way. Whereas now, she effectively had double that influence because he always voted her way. She would say, any woman who can't get her husband to vote how she wants isn't much of a woman. So there has always been petticoat power, friends, you know. And behind every powerful man is a powerful woman, it is said. But what is astonishing, controversial, about this section is that behind this rather wimpish man was a powerful woman. And there are times when God does rise up a Deborah in that respect too. Now it is clear that not everything about this story is intended to be copied slavishly by us. That's the function of narrative. They're not didactic, they're not teaching. This is something that happened. Not everything is intended to be copied slavishly by us. And those who say Deborah proves that there is no distinction in the Bible between men and women might like to reflect whether the woman, Jael, and her hammering of the tent peg through the temple of her guest, Sisera, proves that we should allow our enemies to sleep and then smash their brains in, you see, right? Okay, not everything is meant to be copied slavishly in the stories of the Bible, right? And there is a sense in which this just happened, and that's why it's here. But sometimes, you see, things like this do happen. And if they do, let us praise God, as Deborah did, and be a part of what, let's praise God and be a part of what God is doing. It's like how before a game, the coach comes up with a game plan. But sometimes during the game, events take place. Uh, which you just need to react to, don't you? And that's, you know, in the middle of the game when that happens, that's when your principles and your instincts and your commitments take over. And you, as a coach, might say, just play what's in front of you and not just the theory. And that's what Deborah was doing, wasn't she? You know? 
And so, as ever in this controversy, number one, uh, the, the Bible manages not to be a, a pointing finger that we can direct at other people and sort of use this text against whatever our theological enemies might be, but, but a mirror in which we see ourselves and thereby learn how we need to adjust, to be more careful of God's role for us, to be more zealous of his desire to use us, to learn that God will get it done if we back down from his calling. Isn't that a motivation to step up to the plate? That, 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 that God got it done anyway, even though Barak didn't want to go, but he just didn't have the honor for it. So, so when God calls to get involved and think, yeah, I have an opportunity now, and, and God's big enough, he'll get it done somehow or another, but wow, he could do it through me. Isn't that amazing? And not, and not step back from that, that calling. And therefore, it'd be urged to get involved and be a part of what God's doing. Find a niche to serve in the church, if you haven't already. If you see a problem, become a part of the solution. Figure out a way to deal with it. Be active in your Christianity. Join a small group if you haven't already. When, when asked to serve in some way or other, don't try and find wiggle room around it to get out of it because it's on the same night as your favorite TV show. You know, a la Barak, you know, or whatever. Trust God that he will provide you what you need to do it if you are meant to be involved, as he did for Barak. And move forward with the kind of brave faith that Deborah displayed and that Barak had, to be fair to him, but in her, in her shade. Well, that was God's controversy number one in this passage. And the pearl that's revealed is the pearl of faithful bravery. That's Josh Moody, and this is The God-Centered Life. We're going to learn more about the second woman in the passage next time we get together. Uh, Josh, quoting you, the pearl of faithful bravery. I like that phrase. So many challenges to the children of Israel in the days of the judges, but many challenges that require faithful bravery for us today. So let me ask you, what does a modern-day Deborah look like? Well, I suppose it a little bit depends on the context. It could be in, at work. It could be in a church context. It could be in a home context. It could be in a school context. Uh, the key is that uh, Deborah and uh, women and men like her rely upon the truth of God and the fear of God uh, rather than being governed by the fear of the, uh, the opposition around us. So let me just give one example. Perhaps you are in a working situation where you're being asked to do things that you know are not morally right. At that point, you have a choice. Who do you follow? Do you follow what the boss says, uh, what your peers want you to do? Perhaps after work, you're being encouraged to go to a strip club with the guys, and you know it's not right. But you also know if you don't go, it could affect your career. What do you do? It feels like you're in a conundrum. But if you're faithfully brave, you'll know exactly what the right thing is to do. And to be clear, you're framing the modern-day Deborah as non-gender specific. Well, Deborah obviously was a woman, and and women uh, need to be called to faithful bravery too. And uh, I don't want to remove the example of Deborah as, as a woman. As we said at the beginning, I think it's very important that those figures stand out. Deborah, Esther, Phoebe uh, in the New Testament – 
uh, Priscilla and Aquila, that husband-wife ministry team. These are very important, significant figures to encourage women that the, the Bible has a role for them too of significant faith or bravery. But yes, Deborah, but of course men are called to be faithfully brave as well. Excellent. We're going to move on to yet another strong, brave woman found in the book of Judges when we get together next time. Just enough time to let you know GodCenteredLife.org, our website with resources for you and an opportunity for you to reach out and connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. Next time we get together, pass me a 10 steak. Deborah's song about the incident is even more startling. Then a hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he fell. There he lay. At her feet he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. The Book of Judges, continuing in the focus as we get together next time. GodCenteredLife.org resources for you, and this is your invitation to join us for the next edition of The God-Centered Life with Josh Moody.